I'm having a great time with the research. We got to work on new problems. Not a lot of people are holding you to deadlines like they used to, so that's been really hard for me. It was an adjustment to become a student again, but I have a feeling that the most challenging parts are yet to come. I've realized that I've learned a lot and grown a lot as a graduate student. You're listening to Vitamin PhD, a podcast from Boston University delivering career narratives and skills know-how to supplement your doctoral studies. Hey everyone, I'm Rachel Stumpf. I am a postdoc at Boston University and I am hosting today's episode of Vitamin PhD, Pathways to Entrepreneurship. When I was working on my PhD and had just met someone for the first time, one of the comments I often heard was, oh, you're getting a PhD, does that mean that you want to become a professor? This assumption that PhD equals professor has persisted both inside and outside of academia, even though research has shown that for quite some time, PhDs have sought out a variety of career pathways, either out of desire or necessity, because we also know that opportunities for tenure track professor positions have shrunk substantially. Um, and by the way, we'll link some of this research in the show notes so that you can take a look for yourself. But the point is, PhDs are out in the world doing lots of different things. But for many of us, there are definitely still challenges in figuring out what options are available and how to pursue different kinds of career pathways. Today, our guest is Dr. Marin Wood, who is the co-founder of Beyond the Professoriate, and what's fascinating about Marin's story is that she has not only carved out her own career path as an entrepreneur, but she's also helping other PhDs find their own career path in her work with Beyond the Professoriate. All right, so thanks so much for being on Vitamin PhD today, Marin. We are so excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So. For listeners who aren't familiar with Beyond the Professoriate, can you give us a little bit of background as to what your organization does? Yeah, so um, we've been around for six years. Um, so I'll tell you what we do maybe as I give you a little bit of history about the organization. Um, uh, six years ago, Jen Polk and I started an online career conference for PhDs called Beyond the Professoriate. And that was basically all we did. Jen was doing her career coaching and I was doing research and writing for a variety of different professional organizations in the Chronicle of Higher Ed. And um, uh, over time, we decided that we wanted to provide year-round professional support for PhDs because you know the one once-a-year conference was a good shot in the arm if you were considering careers outside of the academy, but it takes a long time. For both Jen and I, I think, it took us a couple of years to make the transition ourselves, and that's not uncommon. And so we realized that there was a need for more community and support, primarily for PhDs who were outside of institutions of uh, higher ed. We do work with graduate students, but primarily we're working with postdocs and adjuncts and faculty in a community platform where we're providing coaching and mentoring and resources and support events, interviews for people who no longer have access to career support on their campus and find that they need to transition into a new career beyond the professoriate. Um, but recently, actually this past year, we were getting feedback from people that there was not a lot of support for people who were actually interested in faculty careers and that a lot of PhDs in this 
hyper-competitive academic job market are considering both academic as well as professional careers. And I understand that that's a bit of a false division, but you know, language is sloppy. Um, and so we have started offering support for people who are interested in the faculty careers as well. So webinars and events and courses and uh, interviews. And we're about to have our very first faculty job market conference. This will be held all online in September. So we now see ourselves as an organization that provides professional development for all the PhDs, regardless of what your career ambitions are, to provide support and mentorship and coaching and encouragement in a time when it's most needed, which is when you're on that job market trying to figure out how to leverage your PhD. Right. Yeah. And I noticed that um, you've also uh, created now this institutional uh, space uh, called Aurora. Can you talk a little bit about what that entails and sort of how that came about? Yeah. So we started this community platform, the community by Beyond the Professoriate, uh, about two years ago. And we got a lot of inst in interest from institutions who wanted to buy access to their for their students. But we have a vision for our community that we want it to be a place where people actively sign up and are members uh, on their own accord and that the having institutions buy access and dump a whole bunch of people into this platform that weren't really wanting to be there would check it out one time and then bounce out was not really a, a strength for a community it would become more like a graveyard than an actual community. And so we, we, we also had a lot of feedback from people who've attended our conference as well as our community and in our own coaching that PhDs really want more support, more structure around the career exploration. And so what we decided was, we, um, I got in touch with a, a friend from graduate school, Susan, who now works at a teaching and learning center. And we started brainstorming ways in which we could provide our programming to institutions in a way that would provide that kind of structure. Uh, and so what we developed was Aurora, which is only available by institutional subscription. It has two programs of study, one to support PhDs interested in faculty careers, one to support PhDs in professional careers. You can move between both of them. And then the, the heart of it is a career exploration video library where we're interviewing PhDs, we uh, either one-on-one -on -one or sometimes as part of career panels. And we're also offering what we really love, which is called Spotlights, which is a deep dive into one specific career path. So, you know, what is data science? What is UX research? What does a day-to-day -day work life look like in those particular career fields? So that's the heart of Aurora, is to provide uh, an, an e-learning platform that has questions and exercises, guided learning, an assessment and quizzes, to help PhDs explore career options and learn job search strategies. Wow, that is so exciting. It's amazing how much uh, Beyond the Professoriate has really expanded uh, over just the past couple of years. So I'm wondering if we can go back a little bit to the beginning. Um, so I know you said that you and uh, Jen Polk uh, co-founded Beyond the Professoriate, and at the time, the two of you were doing different things. She was doing some uh, career coaching and you were doing some research and writing. So how did the two of you meet and how did you decide that you were going to embark on this endeavor together? So Jen and I actually knew each other back in olden times when we were both doing our master's degrees in history at Carleton University in Canada. And then we both went our separate ways and we didn't really hang out. Like we knew each other. We were in the same program. We weren't really friends. She went to the University of Toronto. I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. We both did our PhDs. 
And then I ended back up in this space after I went on the job market in 2009, the academic job market, which was an awesome time. Uh, everything was sort of imploding and it was uh, chaos and jobs seemed to be being pulled faster than they were being posted. And so um, at the end of three years, I just realized the type of job that I wanted to have, I, w I just wasn't going to get. And that this academic career path that I was on had, had come to a close. And I was uh, brokenhearted, lost. I had never thought about doing anything else other than being a historian and a university professor, other than maybe K-12 teaching. Um, and so I entered the space of this, you know, the Altac world online, and I could see this person's name, and I was like, oh, Jen Polk, I remember her. And Jen came to this from a slightly different perspective. She finished her PhD, I think, in 2011 or 12, and she never wanted to be a professor, but in her program at the time, people didn't really talk about doing anything else. And so, again, she left the PhD program just feeling really unprepared and lost. And so we started having these conversations and we thought, you know, what can we do that can help? What can we do for ourselves? But for all these, like, we can't be the only two people. And of course, on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook, you could see people having these kinds of conversations. And we wanted to do something that was like low cost because everyone's broke. We wanted to do something that was accessible. Um, and so we came up with this idea to try a webinars, an online career conference as a way to get started. Um, and we were so excited the first year we had 100 people attend. And we were like, yay, this is awesome. Um, now, of course, we have like over 600 people attend oh, wow. and it's definitely grown. Um, but it just was sort of proof of concept to use an entrepreneurial word. And then, yeah, we just kept having conversations uh, every year, of course, because we were planning this conference. And then I just pitched this idea to Jen of like, well, what happens if we start a community? And she, Jen loves building communities. And she was like, yes, let's build a community. And the community is growing, um, but it's, it is a challenge to figure out how to reach PhDs and graduate students from a marketing perspective uh, once they leave the academy. Um, and we're also finding that like just too many PhDs are not having access to or being able to access resource on their campus. They feel stigmatized if they explore career options. They're not supported by PIs. Maybe their campus doesn't have great career support. And so we wanted to provide universities with an opportunity to support their students to, you know, we would like to see suffering end. We would, we would basically like to be put out of business. We would like everyone to get the career support that they need while they're in graduate school so they can successfully step out and be confident on the job market from the minute they earn their PhD or even before. And so in those conversations and again talking to universities about how we could support them and support their students and reach PhDs, we decided it was really important for us to partner with institutions as early as we possibly could to get our programming and content into the hands of students while they were enrolled in, uh, in their PhD program. Yeah. And so I'm also curious, when you were first getting started and um, reaching out to universities and figuring out how to build this community, what kinds of uh, skills did you feel like you needed to develop in order to create this business? Because I'm guessing, you know, from the PhD, there's definitely transferable skills, um, but probably there are other things that in starting a business, uh, one does not always learn in a PhD program. Uh, yeah, I had to learn everything. Um, I would say that almost nothing from my PhD directly translates into what I do now, and that's okay. Uh, one of the big things that our mission at Beyond Prof and our mission statement is to help PhDs leverage their education. 
because we really think of the PhD as education, not specifically as training uh, for professional careers. Um, and I think that if we think of it as training, then too often PhDs are being set up to fail in professional careers because the training doesn't actually translate into the types of careers that PhDs often have. And we do go through a long period where we have to learn a, an entirely new career. And that's not uncommon for professionals, like very few professionals have a single career. Lots of people change jobs every three to five years. It's very normal. And so, um, you know, I'm fine with the fact that a PhD in 18th century gender and sexuality studies doesn't actually translate into the entrepreneurship that I do now. I think the hook for me is actually more about interests. And one of the things I really encourage PhDs to think about is not what can I do with my history PhD or my biology PhD, but to actually ask yourself, why did I get this? What was I interested in? What brought me to this journey? And really focusing on your interests and your motivators can help you see a connection between what you're doing now in a very broad and general way to other kinds of careers. And when you're doing informational interviews and you ask people, you know, what energizes you about the work you do now, if you're clear about what energizes you and motivates you in your academic work, then you're much more likely to be able to see how you can move into something like marketing or UX research or research administration because you're not focused on the specifics or the subject matter expertise or the training of your degree. You're thinking of the degree as one place where you explored your high-level interests. So for me, I like strategic thinking. I like high-level thinking. Um, I like marketing because I really like to think about how we message, how we communicate language, um, what, how you can target what you're saying to a specific audience. I think that's really interesting. Um, I like to empower people to make to be informed and make decisions, which is why I'm an educator and I still see myself as an educator, even though I don't actually do a lot of the education now and beyond prof, but what I do as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, is I create a space where learning happens in all different kinds of places. And I think that's really important. So specifically to the PhD in history, no. Um, but interest, I can see how what I do now as an entrepreneur is similar in what motivated me to do a PhD in history. In terms of skills, like I don't know how to do sales or marketing or um, contract negotiation. Um, I do know how to solve problems and ask questions and find people who can help me do those things. So I have great mentors and great advisors, and they have been really critical to the success of this business. Right. No, that totally makes sense. And so kind of piggybacking off that point, when you and Jen are looking at the different things that um, you're doing in your business, how do you decide what things the two of you are going to learn how to do and sort of divide up those tasks? And then how do you decide when you need to bring someone onto your team or, you know, find somebody else who's going to do this particular task? A lot of it has to do with limited resources. We're still bootstrap startup. So some of it is, can I learn how to do that? Um, and how long will it take me to learn to do that? And is it a better use of time and resources to pay somebody to solve that problem for me. My husband actually has a background in business and tech. 
So he's able to do a lot of things that would, would actually be quite expensive for us uh, to, to have to actually pay somebody to do um, business advising, you know. So if you can bring in your friends and family who love you <laughs> and support you anyways to help with that, I think that's always the first line of defense. And you'll be amazed at how people will help you. Um, you know, Susan is a good friend and she's involved in Beyond Prof as a, you know, 10 hours a week. Uh, as a learning specialist, because that was something that I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to be able to do as well as somebody who had a background in a teaching and learning center in pedagogy. And it really has made the difference in Aurora. In terms of how Jen and I divide time, again, it has to do a lot with interest. We're both history PhDs, but we, we were drawn to history for very different reasons. Um, Jen is much more detailed focused and I'm much more high level uh, overview. So I have taken on largely the role of CEO so I have a high level idea of like all of the different pieces of the company, what everybody is doing, the different products, how they work together. I do the sales and the onboarding of customers. And Jen does a very defined role developing our programming. Uh, Jen likes to talk to people. She likes to network and build relationships. So that's a great place because we always need people to come in and do content. So it was really building off of her strengths and her ability to pay attention to details because it's a lot of project management. Um, and so, and that of course is the center and heart of what we do is offer this programming to people. So it just sort of was a natural delegation based on our very different interests and personalities. Right. And it's great that you both have very sort of complementary skill sets uh, that you're able to uh, work together on all these different things. And that's really important. If you're interested in starting a, a startup and you're interested in finding a business partner. I mean, obviously find somebody that you're not already friends with that you can develop a business relationship with. Like I like Jen and we get along, but we are primary business partners. And then the second thing is, yeah, you need to have a clear idea of what your strengths are and be able to match them with someone who's complementary, so that you don't have the clash of the competing um, founders that you as founders can uh, work together collaboratively to build an organization. I know you said when you first got started with your business, um, the two of you were kind of coming from different experiences and situations. Um, and so I'm curious if over time, if your strategy or your goals for Beyond the Professoriate have changed at all. I think that Jen and I had originally, I saw this as the company that she and I would run together, just the two of us, and it would largely focus on serving individuals. So the fact that we now have a learning specialist, someone who's doing our video editing, that we have a full-time person who's doing marketing, that we now need tech support, um, that we're doing contract negotiations with universities, this was not really part of our original iteration of the company, but something that we've had to do in order to grow and succeed as an organization. Um, and that's really about expanding our reach and meeting as helping as many people as we possibly can and trying to think of the best avenues to, to do that. Um, and so that's part of what drives the iteration is to think, okay, well, we're doing this thing and it's working kind of, sort of, but how do we reach more people? How do we expand what we're doing? Um, and really, I think we're motivated by, like I said before, eliminating suffering as much as possible amongst PhDs. You know, you read that terrifying statistic that 40% of graduate students suffer from anxiety and depression. Um, that I would argue that that number increases for early career professionals that are languishing in postdocs, in adjunct positions, in an, and in uncertainty. 
And that's unacceptable. You know, these are smart, talented, capable people, highly educated, highly motivated. And the fact that so many feel like failures and defeated is, uh, I feel like a, a social problem that is worthy of time and energy and effort and needs a solution. And so that really is what drives us to expand and kind of find out other ways to reach people um, and find new avenues to, to support PhDs. Yeah, and on a related note, I think one of the challenges in shifting from being in academia to being in different kinds of career paths is the way that we think about success is often very different. So within academia, you know, it's often about uh, publications and promotion and status. So for you within your business and your organization, how do you think about success? Business gets a bad rap in academia for being profit-driven, but the fact of the matter is if I don't have revenue, which is different from profit, coming in, then my organization ceases to exist. I have to be able to pay talent, pay for my platforms, pay to advertise, uh, pay to travel, to go to conferences, to do marketing, and if I don't have that revenue coming in, then I don't have a successful or viable business. So as horrible, I guess, as it sometimes seems, you know, that's why businesses often focus on that bottom line, because it is the way in which you succeed as an organization. How much revenue do you have coming in? Are you growing? And it's not so much, again, about profit, but if I, I grow, then I can pay my talent better. I can do more interesting things. I can pay myself which would be awesome. Yes. <laughs> uh, I can innovate. I can invest in my platforms. I can do more interesting things. So revenue has to be on the table. And then in terms of like, of what we're trying to achieve, um, you know, success for us is about it. And I keep saying expanding our reach. We want to have as many PhDs know about our resources as possible. So how do we do that? And is that number increasing? Um, because that's really important to, again, the revenue, but also the mission of the organization. So Beyond Prop is a business, but we are what's called a um, public benefit corporation, which means that our mandate is actually to serve the public, not to serve shareholders. And so one of the things then that is important for us measuring the success of the business is, are we delivering on the mission? Are we empowering PhDs? to leverage their education. And so that's the other way that we're measuring that success. How many PhDs are we, are we reaching? Are we helping people? Are our community members succeeding? Are people coming out of Aurora feeling empowered? Those are more difficult things to measure, but they are important to the success of the organization. Mm -hmm. So for PhD students who are thinking that they may want to start their own business, what advice would you give them? So first of all, it's, you, know, you need to do proof of concept. So don't start a business without testing the waters. And I think that our evolution as a company has shown that you know, we started as an online conference that we did once a year. It was a very low cost investment in both time and resources. But there was a proof of concept in that people showed up and we got more people every year. And people enjoyed it and we heard positive things. And so that's, you know, that's kind of a side hustle. So if you're interested in doing this, think about starting as a side hustle uh, and seeing if the idea that you have has legs. Um, the other thing that I wish I had done, which I didn't do, is I would suggest going into a startup and working either in an internship or a low-paid position because those are 
always available in startups. Just to get a sense of what the culture is like, to learn the language, you know, when people are saying, well, let's put that in a parking lot, uh, you know, at the end of a meeting, you're like, wait, what's a parking lot? Like, there's just some lingo and language that people are using that you'll find useful in your organization. And I find it that the transition to being in charge of a company is much bigger than I had imagined. And I would have had a better foundation if I had spent even six months just in a startup, really understanding that world. So that would be kind of the second advice. And then the third is just know that most startups don't make money for three to five years. So that you will probably need some other kind of revenue in order to actually succeed. So that can be angel investors, that can be um, savings, that can be other kinds of employment, that can be, in my case, a spouse who wants the company to succeed, is able to pay bills, and is happy to not go on vacations um, or buy new cars. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to just plan for that. And that's not, there are other benchmarks in the success of a business in the first three to five years, um, and to know whether it's viable or not, uh, other than are you making a profit and to know that that profit piece will often be, especially if you're doing a business, solopreneurship can be a little bit different, but still it takes a long time to establish relationships, to get your clients, to um, be able to understand what your work is in the marketplace, be able to uh, build people correctly and understand all of those different things. Um, so just give yourself time and explore it in ways that are not financially devastating to you and the people that account on you. <laughs> That's really helpful. Uh, so just to conclude our conversation, what have you found most rewarding about the space that you're in and doing this work for Beyond the Professoriate? Yeah, I mean, helping our community members. So I was hosting this event for our conference. It was a career spotlight. The woman's name is Nikki Kerlock. She does UX research. and she did the most fantastic presentation for us. She loves her job. She's helping people. She's engaged. She gets to choose where she lives. She pays her bills. She's well-paid. She is happy. And because she's all of those things, this spotlight that she did for us, this seminar, literally changed lives. And you could see it in the conversation that was happening in our Zoom chat as people were inspired by Nikki's story, but also just inspired to explore this entire different career that they had never really imagined, UX research, and really understanding how much opportunity there was for people with their interests and their skills to make the move into that space. And so uh, as the host, I mean, you feel great. Nikki loves her life, what a great event, and I'm inspiring people to take their education and move it into areas where they will feel better about themselves, where they'll be able to make a difference, where, be, where they will be well paid, and where there's a career advancement. And for so many PhDs, those are things that, that I think, when we're in the adjunct postdoc hell, we don't think that that's possible. And so for me, that's the most inspiring thing about the work we do, is to find these PhDs that are living the life of the mind, that are engaged and hopeful and like their lives and are making great decisions and have career advancement and connect them with PhDs who really need to hear that story and understand that there is hope and opportunity for them. It's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be a slog, you're gonna to have to start over, you might have to take entry level positions, but at the end of the day, the life that you actually want 
is possible even if it's not as a tenure track professor or especially not as a tenure track professor if that's a bad fit for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today and we look forward to seeing you at BU very soon. Yes, thank you so much, Rachel. I'm excited to, to, to come and visit with the postdocs and graduate students on campus. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Vitamin PhD, Pathways to Entrepreneurship featuring Marin Wood. To get the latest episodes of Vitamin PhD, be sure to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also connect with us on Twitter at PhD. Learn more about our team and send us your feedback by visiting our website, bu.edu slash vitamin PhD. See you next time.